In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis made this statement. He said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. And don't we all know that's true? When we need forgiveness, it seems simple, just forgive me. But then we have to give forgiveness, how much more difficult that is. I had a very interesting dialogue with an NMU student this week in the sauna over at the PEEF. And he mentioned his church, and so I felt free to talk a little bit about our church. And I mentioned to him that uh, we were doing a series on Joseph, and that this Sunday we would be dealing with the issue of forgiveness. Here's what this college student said. He said, that's something I struggle with when I think of what others have done to me. He said, I try to wake up every morning with a forgiving spirit, but it's not easy. I think we can all relate to that college student, can't we? It's not easy to forgive. Often it is very hard. As we come to Genesis 45 in our series on the life of Joseph, Joseph has something to forgive, doesn't he? He surely does. He is one of those characters in the Bible who experienced unparalleled injustice. The things done to him were very, very hard to forgive. Somebody said to me this week, how did Joseph refrain from being bitter? He did forgive, didn't he? And the question we have this morning is how? Now we are in that section in the study on Joseph where we are looking at the path to reconciliation. And this morning we come to part three. And we have a very simple question. What are the essentials of forgiveness? And once again, we want to sit at the feet of Joseph as God teaches us through him. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Genesis 45. In your chair Bible in front of you, it's about page 45. And I'd just like to ask us to bow for just a moment and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, I surely need your help and would pray for the guidance and direction of your spirit. But then, Lord, as Pastor Hank prayed earlier, that we would all have open hearts, receptive minds, because if we're honest, we know this is a very difficult area of our lives. And we so much need not only your guidance and direction, but we need your empowerment that we might be people that pursue the path to reconciliation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with verse 1 at Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. So that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold 
into Egypt. Now let's notice where forgiveness and reconciliation always has to begin. It begins with a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit is always the essential starting point. One pastor has said about Joseph this, it was apparent that Joseph had already forgiven his brothers. Another Bible teacher says as we open up this 45th chapter that Joseph's entire attitude was one of sincere friendliness towards his brothers. Clearly, he had forgiven them already before he ever met them again 22 years later in his heart. Now, how do we know that Joseph had already forgiven these brothers? Well, let me show you the evidence here this morning. Notice his tears, his tears. Three times Joseph wept for his brothers. And those were tears of joy. Those were tears of rejoicing. Remember when Reuben accused his brothers of sinning against Joseph and he didn't know that Joseph understood him. The Bible says that he wept. When he saw Benjamin, his only full brother, for the first time in these many years, he wept. And now after he hears the touching self-sacrifice of Judah for his brother Benjamin, once again, Joseph weeps, this time uncontrollably. I think most of us know spontaneous, uncontrollable weeping is often a sign of a tender heart, isn't it? It is often the sign of the depths of love. Think about this. Had Joseph not forgiven his brothers in his heart before he ever saw them again, he would have erupted in virulent hatred for them, not love. But it is very, very clear from his tears he had a forgiving heart. And then his tests. Remember three times Joseph tested them, and they were very difficult tests for his brothers. But he tested them not to harm them, but to help them. His goal was to change them so that when true reconciliation came, they would be ready. And then I want you to notice his very first words. Let me ask you, what would be your first words to these men? What would be the first things that would come out of our mouths? Joseph's very first words in verse 3 were, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? Had he not had a forgiving heart, the first words that poured out of his mouth would have been about him, right? They would have been about his injustice, all that he had suffered. But his first words that he said were about the welfare of his father, showing that already in his heart he had forgiven his brothers. There's something that we need to, I think, understand here as we look at this wonderful example. Reconciliation has conditions, but forgiveness from the heart has no conditions. Let me say that again. Reconciliation with somebody else has conditions, but forgiveness from the heart has no conditions. Our attitude towards those who have wronged us should always be, I want to forgive you. 
That was the attitude of Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, 34, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was his attitude. And it is always to be ours as well. Now, why is this the starting point, and why is it so important? Well, it's this. If we don't, we become vengeful, vindictive, hostile, and bitter. Read with me this warning that comes to us from Romans 12, 19. If you noticed all the New Testament truth we've been learning in the life of Joseph, his life truly is about uh, discipleship. It's about following the Lord. And notice this warning to us. Let's read it together, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, if we do not have a forgiving spirit, it will inevitably lead to a vengeful spirit. And God says, whenever we do that, we are taking His role, we are playing God in the lives of others. Let me show you another very important New Testament passage. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. You know it so well. Listen to it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did you notice the interesting connection between verses 31 and 32? Verse 31 is all those things that we do to get even with those who hurt us. Bitterness is resentment. Wrath is blowing up at them. Anger is a slow burn towards what they have done. Clamor is shouting at them. Slander is misrepresenting them. And malice is hoping to get back at them. All of those are the things we do to hurt those who have wronged us. But then notice verse 32. That is to have a forgiving spirit. Did you notice what's going on then? A forgiving spirit, verse 32 removes the things in verse 31 that would cause us to be vengeful and get even with people, but the things in verse 31 destroy a forgiving spirit in verse 32. Let me ask you a question this morning. Which verse do you want to live in? Which verse do I want to live in? We have a choice to make, do we not? And Joseph chose not to live in verse 31... He chose to live in verse 32. Pastor Jim Bohr, who at one time pastored the largest church in California in our fellowship of churches, said this, Bitterness is the most dangerous of all plagues to healthy Christian living. It will eat away at the vitality of your spiritual life until your once vibrant testimony is in shambles. It is the cancer of the soul and it claims millions of victims each year. How many of us want to have cancer in the soul? I don't think so. And we know for sure, if I've got cancer in my soul, I'll never be able to reconcile. 
And so, forgiving spirit, it is the place, it's the first essential where reconciliation must start. Now, let's move on, shall we? Here's the second essential. Repentance is essential for real reconciliation. Now, we have to ask the question, why did Joseph wait until now to reveal himself to his brothers? It took two visits and many months before Joseph revealed himself. In fact, it could have been a year. And why so long? Well, remember what we said. Forgiveness has no conditions, but reconciliation requires repentance. It requires a changed heart. And when Joseph heard Judah's plea to sacrifice himself on the part of his youngest brother, Benjamin, here's what Joseph knew. These men could no longer hate a brother and take spiteful actions against him. You see, Joseph was waiting for the right time to reconcile. He understood that superficial reconciliation will never last. We have to ask this question in verse 3 or verse 4. Why does Joseph say to his brothers, I'm Joseph, how is my father? And then he says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Why does he bring that up? Why does he say that now? Well, I identified him, didn't it? It let them know that he knew their secret. No one else knew the secret. Even Benjamin does not know the secret until now. And Joseph is saying, you can know it is really me, Joseph, because I know what you did two decades ago. But I think there's another reason. I think this is also the final step in their repentance. You see, once the secret was out, their guilt could now be pardoned. They had confessed their wrong. And now the one that they wronged stood before them ready to forgive. You see, until sin is openly acknowledged, there cannot be real restoration, only ongoing hurt. And Joseph understood that. Uh, There's a husband and wife uh, who have worked for years with domestic violence victims. And they wrote a book. Their names are James and Phyllis uh, Alsdurf. And they wrote a book entitled Battered Into Submission. And in that book, they talked about what has to happen for someone who has abused his wife to be reconciled with that wife. Listen to what they said. The victim of abuse can choose to forgive her batterer, both for his sake and for her own. But the work of reconciliation cannot begin until the batterer repents. And repentance is a process. It starts when the batterer, spiritually and psychologically, faces the awfulness of his actions. 
There must come that loathing of oneself for one's sins as Ezekiel exhorts, then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detectable practices. Ezekiel 36, 31. They write the horrors of the past must be named, not left vague and undefined. Here sin and sickness move from the abstract to the concrete. And most importantly, the batterer takes responsibility for what he has done. See, what are they describing? They are describing repentance. Did you notice here that in reconciliation... There are three steps in this process. Look back at chapter 44 and verse 18. It says, Judah went up to Joseph. And then he gave this amazing speech of repentance. That's the step of repentance. Then drop down to verse 4. And Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. That is the step of forgiveness. And then notice verse 4, the brothers came near. That is the step of reconciliation. Can I say to you this morning, reconciliation always requires these three steps, does it not? Does it not? Someone in the relationship has to take the step of repentance. I'm so sorry for all that I've done to you. I have wronged you. And when they take that step, then somebody has to take the step of forgiveness. Yes, I've been hurt. Yes, it's been painful. But I forgive you. And then both have to take that third step where reconciliation takes place and they are reunited once again. Can I say this to all of us this morning? As long as we are moving backwards from one another, reconciliation can never happen, right? As long as we are moving away from each other, there can be no reconciliation. But when someone takes that step of repentance, then the second step of forgiveness can be offered. And finally, finally, there can be the step of reconciliation. Let's continue, shall we, with Joseph? Because thirdly, we learn a truth that is extremely, extremely helpful for us. Trust in God's sovereignty is essential to forgive. Trust in God's sovereignty is essential to forgive. Look with me, if you would, at verse 5. And now he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. 
You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin sees, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Did you notice three times Joseph mentions his father? What was the greatest source of his pain? It was his separation from his father. Look again last week at this famous painter, painting by the Dutch master Jan Leivens. It is entitled, Jacob Receiving Joseph's Bloody Coat. And the author of the painting has done such a great job of showing us the incontrollable sobbing and grief that Jacob had experienced when he thought his son had been devoured by a wild animal. But now I want us to put ourselves in Joseph's feet as well. Because he had experienced the same pain. To be ripped from your family at 17 and sold for 22 years is horrendous wrong. And we say, how do we forgive? How did he forgive? How do we forgive the wrongs that we have suffered? Some of us today in this very room, horrendous wrongs. And the answer is this. Joseph had a view of God's sovereignty. That was the key. That was the key. By the way, this picture says it all, doesn't it? You see, we believe that another world exists. And we believe that other world is in this world. We believe that that world where God dwells rules over this world. And we believe this world does not have the last word. And trust in the God of that other world makes possible the removal of anger, hatred, and retaliation in this world. Is that not true this morning? Yes, it is. By the way, it wasn't until after I had selected this image that I noticed that the very center is the Mediterranean Sea, right, behind, right below it, the land of Egypt. There's the Nile River. There's where Joseph was. How appropriate his view of God's sovereignty. How many of you counted that in this speech, Joseph mentions God four times? Did you see that? God is always the key to forgiving. He always is. And let's look and just see for a moment here what Joseph knew about God's sovereignty. Notice what he knew. 
God overrules others' actions for His purposes in our lives. Do you believe that today? It's hard to affirm, but if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you do. Did you notice twice Joseph says his brothers sold him? Three times he says, God sent me here. To the brothers he says, you sold me. God sent me. Let me ask, whose purpose was achieved? Whose purpose was achieved? The God who sent him. The God who sent him. Brothers and sisters, we always need to know this. No one can take God's purpose from you. He overrules. No one can take God's purpose from you. He overrules. All the years that Joseph suffered pain and estrangement, he was under God's purpose. And when the time came for God to fulfill his mission for Joseph, God had prepared him for it. God overrules others' actions for his purposes in our lives. Notice the second thing. God's sovereign purposes are for our final good. Had Joseph not been sent down to Egypt, the famine would have swallowed up the family. Did you notice that twice in this speech, verse 6 and a little bit later, Joseph says, God has made it clear to me the famine is going to last five more years. But now what is going to happen? As the family comes down to Egypt, they are not only going to survive, they are going to thrive. They are not only going to survive in Egypt, they are going to thrive. And the very sin that occurred against Joseph was used by God for the entire family's final good. What an incredible thing. And then look thirdly. God's sovereign purposes are for our saving good all the way into eternity. Look at the end of verse 7 and notice what Joseph said. That God had this plan to keep alive for you many survivors. If you read the Amplified Bible at this point, it says this, to save your lives by a great escape and to save alive many survivors. Do you know what this is? This is the beginning of God's promise to Abraham that he would bless the nations of the world with salvation through the Jewish people. Look with me at the land of Goshen where Joseph says... Uh, His father Jacob and their family of 70 is going to settle. Here's a map where you can see in the lush, fertile valley of the Nile River, only about 20 to 25 miles from where the headquarters was, where Joseph would have been the second in command in Egypt. The entire family was going to be brought. This was the most fertile land in all of Egypt, the best land for grazing flocks and herds. 
And it would be here that the nation Israel would grow into a nation of two million. And then years later, under the leadership of Moses, they would leave for Canaan. And there, through the Jewish people, God would begin to extend His plan of salvation to the entire world. That's what God was doing. Now, I want to say something to us today. If this was what God was doing in the life of one man, imagine what He's doing in your life. Right? You see, if we will submit to His sovereignty, He will overrule the actions of others for our final good, And that ultimate good will extend into eternity for our salvation. You see, when we have a view of the sovereignty of God, then how could we do any less but be forgiving people? Pastor Ken Hughes says this, Believers who see and embrace who God is and what He is doing in life, forgive. Hatred and unwillingness to forgive comprises the actions of hearts that are ignorant of God and His Word. And that is true. Believers who see and embrace who God is and what He is doing in life, forgive. Hatred and unwillingness to forgive comprise the actions of hearts that are ignorant of God and His Word. Now, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us at all that when one man has a forgiving spirit because he sees the sovereignty of God and brothers have a repentant spirit because they've been brought to a place of recognizing and repenting of the wrong they've done, then it shouldn't surprise us. The last essential of forgiveness is a forgiveness is essential for healing. Forgiving is essential for healing. Look at verse 14 and 15. The Bible says this in such a wonderful way. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Did you notice two elements of healing? Unity and conversation. You can always tell when healing has come to relationships, there is now a new unity between former enemies and there's an ability to talk. Remember, they sent him away. Now what are they doing? They're united. They had sent him away because of hate, but now they're united because of forgiveness. Remember, they could not speak a peaceable word to him. 
But now his brothers talk with him. How many of you think this probably went on for hours, this conversation? I don't think this was a five-minute deal, do you? Do you see this? Whenever there is real healing, it leads to a new unity. It needs to a new ability to talk. And how wonderful this is if you've ever been there and you've experienced this. You know how wonderful it is. I wonder this morning how these essentials are operating in your life and operating in mine. Let's read them together because there can be no reconciliation without them. Would you join me? A forgiving spirit is the essential starting point. Repentance is essential for real reconciliation. Trust in God's sovereignty is essential to forgive. Forgiving is essential for healing. You remember those three steps that I mentioned are essential for healing? Repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. May I ask a question? Who are you moving away from that you should be moving towards? If you need to repent, have you repented? Or have you refused to look in the mirror and say, I've done wrong? If you need to forgive somebody who has repented, have you forgiven them? And if you need to be reconciled, have you been reconciled? We are all grateful for what Joseph has done. Now what do we need to do? Let's pray together. Father, we're your people. You're sovereign over us. No one else can take from us your plans for us. We believe in another world. A world in which you reach down into this world and are sovereign and your plans cannot be thwarted. And oftentimes, Lord, we live as though we only believe in this world And this world has the last word. And because of that, we're angry, hostile, 
bitter, unforgiving. And what you want us to do is like Joseph could do. Pull the veil away from this nasty, mean, difficult world. And see a world where God has loved us, saved us, forgiven us. Is working out a marvelous plan that will one day end in eternity with our salvation. And it's with that confidence in God's control that we can be free. Free to repent. Free to forgive. Free to reconcile. Oh Lord Jesus, we love you. We come to you now. In your name. Amen.